everybody. Welcome to another episode of Two Strike Noise, your weekly baseball history podcast. I am one of your co-hosts, Jeff, sitting uh, across from me in his usual spot in the palatial Two Strike Noise studio is my co-host, Mark A. Johnston. Mark, how are you doing today? I'm palatially well. I just, I'm, I liked the, the use of that word. That was nice. I'm feeling sort of palatial. You know, these studios are are lush and palatial. So they are they I'm are all painting above, a pic, painting a picture with words. It's <laughs> what I do. Absolutely. So, Mark, uh, as is always the case, uh, you know, we've done this is our 49th show, believe it or not, where we've talked about baseball history. Uh, I do like to give you an out, though, should you want to talk about something else. So I thought if you did not want to talk about baseball history today, we could talk about crafting a lawsuit against the Yankees in which we claim Derek Jeter derailed our careers. But to be fair now, that has already been done. So we might be piggybacking on somebody else, but I just Mm -hmm. wanted to throw it out there. Yeah, you know, that's incredibly tempting because you know how I feel about Derek Jeter. Um, but in the same manner, I, I just see him being able to hire better attorneys than us. <laughs> probably, probably so. Well, we we could file it ourselves because after he ruined our careers, we went to law school and became a lawyer, as was the case. Uh, yeah, I'm saying let's go with uh, baseball history. What do you say? All right, let's let's just keep the ball rolling. We're yeah. we're almost fifty shows in. Why stop now? Yeah. So, all right. Okay. We got a good show today. I got two topics that we're excited. I, I think we're both excited to cover about. You are going to enlighten us about Max Carey, who I told you is a name I know, but I know nothing about. So I'm excited about that. Yeah, I was the same way. Uh, and I thought, you know, I've heard of this guy and I don't know a lot about him. I'm going to go check into him. He's a pretty interesting ball player. I've got something along the same lines uh, that happened while I was uh, researching my topic, which is the Home Run Derby TV show from the 1960s, which coincidentally just debuted last week in 1960. So uh, I came up with somebody that was very interesting and, you know, beyond just how cool that show was that I had never heard of. So I had to do some research and pretty interesting dude. So we'll get to that. We're we're, going to be covering Max Carey and the Home Run Derby TV show today. But before we do that, we don't want to just jump right into the main stuff we got to warm up we got to take some you know some bp so that we're you know not just coming in cold so let's uh let's uh let's get in the cage here i got a couple of things for you mark all right uh first of all promotional calendar just came out for the oakland days uh, you know in stadium promotions for next season july 19th now i am i am a season ticket holder for the A's, so I can get discounted tickets. Anybody that wants to show up for this game, get in contact with me. I will I will help get you some discounted tickets. July 19th, it is Bleacher Tribute Night in Oakland. Now, it's very vague, Bleacher Tribute. Of course, you know the Bleacher creatures in left and right field, uh, waving flags, playing drums, all that. So this... Uh, this night has coincidentally been scheduled while the Houston Astros are in town. So the initial word is that it is going to be some kind of drum giveaway so that everybody can be beating on drums throughout the game (laughs) while the Astros are here. (laughs) So I think this is a great, a great thing because first of all, there is a, there is a troll on the internet who claims to be a journalist 
They don't have a whole lot of followers. Claims to be a journalist in Houston. They are obviously Astro fans. They're yeah. not verified. There's no blue check. They are just <laughs> trolls. And they have just been fighting against this Astros garbage can scandal. And he has been claiming, uh, especially since this came out, that the A's have been cheating for years with those drummers in right field. Oh, he says goodness. he says there's no way one of them doesn't have binoculars and isn't sending and you know sending some mm. kind of indicators. He also this week bold new claims claimed that uh, the Mats Matt Chapman and Matt Olson as well as Marcus Simeon just all of a sudden became good. He says that's because of the drummers. So oh absolutely. I mean I know I've been wanting the Mariners to get better for years and I've been trying to hire drummers. <laughs> and you know I've been, but it's just nobody's nobody's been able to kick it up that extra notch like the a's and they're they're drum beat supermen yeah no so i i just i i equate and i'm not going to give this guy's name out because he is he's is a troll and i don't i don't want to feed the trolls but he yes. i i just equate him as the fox news of astros information on twitter that's that's what i think of this guy as but it's i very I, specific I check in on him every now and then just to get a little chuckle to see how his mind works. <laughs> nice. Oh, the internet is fun. Oh, yeah. Okay, so here I got a... These are some fun numbers here. I found this uh, likewise on, uh, on the internet, so I thought this was interesting. Most games in the 1990s with at least one stolen base and one home run in the game. So in the 90s, okay. In the, in the 90s, so... That means, you know, in the 1990s, a player both hit a home run and stole a base in the same game. Can you guess who is the leader? Easily the leader in this category. 1990s. You know, the 40-40 guys come to mind. And, uh, you know, like a Ron Gant or, or I don't think Jose Canseco. Now, I'm going to give you bad props for coming up with Ron Gant. He is actually tied for third. Oh, Nice. But the leader by far and away is the all-time home run leader, Barry Bonds. Oh, sure. I should have come up with that. He did it 69 times. And I'm going to guess most of that was at the beginning of the 90s. I yeah. mean, did he steal? I don't remember if he stole a whole lot of bases later in his career. But, you know, obviously when he was when he was skinny Barry Bonds, especially when he was with the Pirates, I mean, he was a legitimate stolen base threat. I'm going to sure. pull up pull up his numbers here he has 514 career stolen bases the uh during the 90s uh, you know not bad 52 43 39 and then it kind of started to go downhill after as you get to the mid 90s but yeah he was still a big threat but 69 times he hit a home run and stole a base in the same game second place that's a lot yeah that that is a lot second place with 36, so a big drop-off there, is Larry Walker, our boy, and hopefully future Hall of Famer, Larry That's Walker. That's right. We're pulling for you, Larry. So then you mentioned Ron Gant. He had 33 tied with Ron Gant. Now, I would have ne never come up with this in a million years. Jeff Bagwell. Really? Yeah. Bagwell? So I remember he ran a little bit in his early years, yeah. but I, I would have never thought that he had done, you know, pulled the double there essentially 33 times no that's really i would not have come up with that yeah so jeff bagwell his career stolen base numbers here looking at it he total had only 202 he stole 31 bases in 1997 can you believe that? 31 bases, and and then he stole 30 in 99 
I had no idea. I mean, I, I probably knew back then, but I didn't remember it. Yes. Wow. So that's that's pretty impressive for Jeff Bagwell. After that, uh, the next one with 31 is going to be the topic of our next show next week. It is Ricky Henderson. No surprise there that he's on that list. No, he was definitely in my my top five. Yeah. That I was going to guess. Yeah. Uh, next with 29, Sammy Sosa, and then 28 rounding out the list was Ken Griffey Jr., who makes sense. I would expect him to be there as well. Sosa, I probably wouldn't have thought of as just like Bagwell, but there you go. I thought that was pretty interesting. All of those, well, not all of those, uh, three of those, I guess only three of them are in the Hall of Fame with Bagwell, Ricky, and Jr. So that's true. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Good interesting stuff, numbers. man. Yeah. Let's go into our weekly, uh, during the season, it's our debuts and birthdays segment, but of course it is January. Happy 2020, everybody. Uh, nobody's making their debut this week. They have not in the history of Major League Baseball made a debut in January, believe it or not. Never been done. Never wow. been done. So we have been uh, taking a look uh, during the offseason here at one team each week of the 42 that Major League Baseball is threatening to essentially contract and not be associated with Major League Baseball anymore. So today we are going to travel down south and we're going to talk about the Florida Fire Frogs. The Fire Frogs, yes. The Fire, the, I, I keep wanting to say Fryer, but no, it is Florida, this is a tongue twister for me, Florida Fire Frogs. Florida <laughs> I can't, Fire Frogs. Say that, say that quickly three times, that's a tough uh, one. I can say Florist Fryers. Well, that's different than forest fires. Never mind. And, sorry. And different than Florida fire frogs. Florida fire frogs. Yeah, that's a tough one. So they've only been around since 1994. Okay. Uh, they play in Kissimmee, Florida. Well, I should say they played in Kissimmee, Florida, which is a kind of a suburb of the greater Orlando area. I believe Kissimmee mm -hmm. is also where the Mets like used to do spring training. I'm not sure if they, maybe yeah. they're still there, but. Remember. The Astros used to do spring training in Kissimmee too, up to like three years ago. Oh, maybe that's what I'm thinking about. Is 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 maybe it was the Astros? I know Kissimmee had spring training. Since their incorporation as a minor league team in 1994, they've been affiliated with the Marlins, the Expos, the Brewers, and are currently the Single A farm club for the Atlanta Braves. But they are without a home currently. Right now, if they were to start a season right now, so then I guess you could have somebody debut. Uh, in the minors at least, they would have nowhere to play. <laughs> they uh, originally came into the league in 94 as the Brevard County Manatees, which oh, is a great manatees. name. Because I love that. manatees. They're sea cows. They are. And the, the fighting manatees might have even been better. Which is weird because manatees are like the most like laid back of all sea creatures. Right. They're, they're chill. Fighting manatees would be much more difficult to come by and therefore a draw. It would be hard. They're more like the 420 manatees, I think, <laughs> generally describes manatees. But if they're, because if you, I guess if you got a fight in manatee, they're, you've really done something wrong. <laughs> yeah. It, and you should be favored to win if you have a weapon. I, <laughs> if you get a manatee mad, you're doing something wrong with your life because yeah. they're pretty chill. I heard that they're, they're pretty patient with stuff. So, <laughs> well, get this. So, they're known as the manatees, but then they decide we need to rebrand. So what do they do that every minor league, like apparently in the world does? They let the fans rename the club. Yeah, always a mistake. So the fans voted apparently for the Fire Frogs. 
I don't know how they did because one of the other options was the Florida rodeo clowns. <laughs> <laughs> I can think of like eight logos to be on a hat that would just be awesome the for a for the rodeo clowns. I mean, I think the best logo would be one of those barrels with just a clown head sticking out of it. I think that <laughs> would be a great thing there. Yeah, but currently, like I said, this team has no home. The stadium that they played in for the past two seasons, uh, their lease was bought out to allow for the Orlando City Soccer Club to build a training facility there because their MLS team is a lot more popular than this minor league team. Huh. I couldn't find any official news about where this club is going to play uh, you know, this upcoming season, but rumor has it through what I did find is that they are going to end up playing at the Braves new spring training facility in Northport, Florida, which makes sense. You know, I obviously you've got yes. a field ready to go there. A lot of teams in Florida do have their lower club playing at their spring training facility because they've got a nice stadium there. They don't have to don't have to worry about upkeep elsewhere and so forth. So the Florida Fire Frogs may be coming to a town near you if you live in Northport, Florida. Northport, I believe, is where uh, the, the Braves moved their spring training to there from. Actually, they were in Disney, Disney World, World. ESPN yep. complex. Yeah. Yeah. And they just moved this year, I think. I think it's their first season there. Yes, yes. This will be next month will be their first official spring training in Northport, Florida. Gotcha. Okay. So I couldn't find, you know, I did I did a digging for about an hour. I did a lot of digging on the Fire Frogs, and there's just not a lot of history. I mean, they've only been around since 94. I know the last couple of clubs we've done have been around since the 1800s. Uh, but I did come up with a coach that I am unfamiliar with who was coaching with the team last year, but I couldn't not mention that they had a coach on their staff named Porky Lopez. Porky now, Lopez, that guy still owes me money. <laughs> I'm going to assume that Porky is a nickname, I hope. <laughs> not not like a surname. But. <laughs> Wasn't that one of the X-Wing fighters? No, that was Porkins. That Never was Porkins. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Porkins did not make it. Poor Porkins. Um, all right, so let's, uh, let's, before we go any further, we need to revisit our, our now weekly segment of things that make you say, hmm, maybe I should Google that. So... Last week, you, Mark, reviewed the 1999 season, and it just so happened, coincidentally, that somehow our our question had to do with the 1999 season. What do you know? Yeah. So the question was, which rookie led Major League Baseball in wins in 1999? So you want to take a you want to take a guess? We already determined it wasn't Scott Williamson, who as a rookie had 12 wins and 19 saves. I will tell you this. He was on the Seattle Mariners. And 90, oh my gosh. He was on the Mariners. He was on the Mariners in 99? He was a rookie on the Mariners in 1999. Not Randy Johnson, obviously, but a very large individual. You got me on this one, man. His name rhymes with Greddy Farcia. <laughs> oh, 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 yeah. Bill, uh, no, no, no. <laughs> Freddie. Freddie Garcia. Sure, yeah. He was... Uh, they just had dealt with, dealt for him um, from the Astros, I believe. Yeah, Freddie Garcia had 17 wins as a rookie in 1999. That's not bad. Wow. No, that is not bad. Uh, all right, so I'm going to uh, I'm going to just carry on with the uh, with the trivia from the 1999 season for this week's question of things that make you say, "Hmm, I should Google that." All right. And the question 
I have for you is which rookie led Major League Baseball in home runs in 1999. Mm. So it is, uh, I know we talked a lot about rookies last week when we went over this. We threw a couple of names out there. I don't believe we mentioned this gentleman, but that's that's the only hint I'm going to give. You have to wait till next week and uh, and we'll reveal the answer. But uh, Major League Baseball's rookie home run leader for 1999. That is our trivia question for next week nice okay okay it'll give me a week to think about it all right so let's uh now let the ground screw come out and do their thing earn their money and let's get into the main part of our shows i am going to be batting lead off today and i am going to as i mentioned earlier be talking about the home run derby tv show now i am guessing we don't have a lot of listeners that saw this on its first run in 1960 <laughs> you, you, we may have a couple, but we, right. we might. And, and, yeah. if we, and if we do, please let me know. I would I would love to hear uh, just somebody. I mean, I met somebody at the A's game this year that used to go to games at Scheib Park in Philadelphia. So, wow. you know, I thought that, I, that was cool. I talked to him the whole game. I don't even remember what happened in the game. I was so excited to talk to him. <laughs> That's really cool, though. I would do the same thing. Yeah, so if you if you did happen to see this on its original run, let us know. Uh, you know, get in contact with us on social media. I'd like to I'd like to talk to you. Uh, but let's let's just talk about this. You know, I didn't grow up obviously watching this, but when I was in college, it was when this was on ESPN Classic, actually quite a bit. And I remember just sitting and watching and just enjoying it. It's a it's a easy half hour of TV. It's nothing too complicated, but there are some incredible names that were on this show. So let me give you a little bit of history about it. Like I said, it debuted January 9th, 1960. So just last week marked the uh, the anniversary of its debut. It was filmed, the entire season was filmed during a three-week period in December of 1959. It was filmed at the historic Wrigley Field in Los Angeles, which we've talked about before. Give you a little bit more information, though, on it. It was the home park for the Los Angeles Angels when they were in the Pacific Coast League, as well as their first season as a major league team in 1961. It was designed by Zachary Taylor Davis, not to be confused with Jonathan Taylor Thomas of 1990s, like Tiger Beat <laughs> fan. No. No, there's a that's a deep cut there. Everybody gets that one. Yeah. Uh, who, uh, and, and Zachary Taylor Davis had previously designed both Chicago ballparks for the major league teams, meaning Comiskey Park and Wrigley Field in Chicago, which was originally just known as Cubs Park. Uh, other uh, beyond home run derby, the pride of the Yankees. And the movie version of Damn Yankees was filmed at this park. Also, some TV shows were filmed there, including the Twilight Zone episode, The Mighty Casey, which you've covered in previous episodes. Yes, absolutely. So uh, this uh, Wrigley Field in L.A. is now a parking lot, which is actually it's a change because most older ballparks that have been torn down, I find, are usually targets at this point for some reason. (laughs) Every time I look at an old park and it's, it's now a target for some reason. The rules of Home Run Derby were very simple. There, there were no bonus balls. There was no clock. There's none of this stuff that goes on at the All-Star game. The winner receives a check for $2,000 and was invited back for the next week's episode against a new opponent. Uh, the runner-up received a check for $1,000. And if a batter hit three home runs in a row, they would receive $500 for that. 
They hit another one, another $500. Anything beyond four consecutive home runs was worth $1,000. And that is quite a bit of money back in those days. The average World Series winner's share in 1960 was $8,417. So, I mean, imagine if you went and just like won two weeks in a row, that's half of a World Series share. And this was back in the days when, when, when even stars would be working as a job during the offseason. So, I mean, this was good money. There was also incentive for throwing good home run balls by the pitchers. So they had just two batting practice pitchers that were there. They'd switch off every inning, and whichever pitcher threw the most home runs that contest also got a bonus. They were trying to give up home runs. Uh, It was a nine-inning game, and you got a pitch. If it wasn't a home run, it was an out. If you took the pitch and it was called a strike, it was also an out. So, you know, this is quick. It, it was, it, it's a lot different, you know, like I said, from the home run derbies at the All-Star game where you've got like two and a half minutes, you get extra time. If you hit so many, you get timeouts. No, you go up there, you could take three hacks and you could be sitting back at the desk with the host watching your competition. That's right. So uh, the host was Mark Scott. He is the one that came up with the concept here. Very personable guy i guess uh it it, it's it's very fun to watch these and and every episode is on youtube i'll link some of these in the show notes if you haven't seen it or if you have it's probably time to revisit it he is there just calling the action very minimal every now and then he's got the other uh contestant sitting right next to him so he's got a freaking mickey mantle sitting right next to him well well somebody else is batting and every now and then he'll just ask something and the answer is usually just yes or no like these guys are clearly not comfortable being on camera Uh, but uh, he's just calling the action Uh, of the 20 players who had hit 25 or more home runs during the 1959 season. So the season that ended, and then they're taping this show, all but four appeared on the show. So he got he got big names, and he said all he did was ask. It wasn't like he had to go through an agent or anything. He didn't know if this concept was going to work, but he just asked these people, and they're like, yeah, I'll, I'll fly in and do that. Uh, <laughs> So the the four that did that, you know, that hit more than 25 home runs, but didn't appear on the show were Joe Adcock, Orlando Cepeda, Woody Held, who I've never heard of, and Charlie Maxwell, who likewise I hadn't heard of. 15 of the 16 major league teams were represented. The only club not represented was the American League champion White Sox, who had no players with more than 22 home runs in 1959. But of course, remember, that was the go-go White Sox team. So they weren't really concentrating on big sticks that's right nine of the 19 competitors would go on to be elected to the baseball hall of fame plus beyond like i said just getting to see these guys hit is just the casual atmosphere here these guys are just there they're they're smiling they're joking around i never got to see you know mickey mantle close up take cuts or babe ruth when you see highlights of those guys is generally the ball is already on the way and you see them swinging here. You get to see like them set up in the box and take their practice swings and stuff, which I thought was just like really, really cool to get to just kind of see their routines and what they look like rather than just the moment that they're swinging. Some players actually wore golf gloves during the show as well. So this is interesting because I think we've, we've talked about it before. Hawk Harrelson was the first 
player to wear a glove, which was a golf glove during a major league game. And it was, of course, the story. He was not expecting to play that day. So he had played 36 holes of golf earlier in the day. (laughs) And so his hands were a little sore and he had to go up and, and, you know, bat. So he wore his batting gloves. This is before that. And, you know, even Mickey Mantle is wearing batting gloves, two batting golf gloves at that point. And uh, they just said, you know, hey, it it was the off season for these guys and they hadn't swung a bat for a while. So they didn't really want to tear their hands up. So this is really the first instance of batting gloves, which I thought was interesting. Ernie Banks said this about his time on the show. We could not believe we were on television and we didn't know what to say. So remember, you know, TV and baseball, you would get a game now and then, but these guys were not used to to being on camera and you can tell they were they were nervous. They they're fidgeting in their seat. They don't, you know, now oh, guys yeah. will just go and like kind of relax. They're used to it and they'll joke around and, and that kind of stuff. So it's really a different feel. Uh, the host, I mentioned Mark Scott. This show only ran for one season. And it wasn't because it wasn't popular. It was a syndicated show. It was not a network show. But the host, Mark Scott, died on July 13th, 1960. Oh, wow. So so remember, this show premiered on January 9th, 1960. He died of a heart attack at age 45. And in the wake of his death, producers decided not to replace him and instead canceled the show. Uh, It should also be mentioned that Benjamin Stoloff, who was the director of the show, also died on September 8th of the same year. So kind of a cursed cursed show for non-baseball players. If you had to crown a champion, which, of course, there was no real tournament in this. They just, you know, if you win, you keep coming back. If you lose, you probably come back a couple of weeks later and try it again. It would have been Hank Aaron. Aaron went six and one and won a total of $13,500, which was, like I said, a big chunk of money then. Mickey Mantle led the way in total number of home runs hit with 44 over his five appearances, which was 10 more than second place Aaron's 34. Jackie Jensen was the player with the longest streak. He hit five in a row. Nobody else had a longer streak than three. Now, Jensen appeared four times on the show, and this is the player I was talking about. I knew nothing about him. I'm not even sure I knew his name. Have you, have you heard of Jackie Jensen? No, I'm not familiar with that whatsoever. So I did a little research because I hadn't either. Of course you did. <laughs> Jackie Jensen played from 1950 to 1961, most notably for the Boston Red Sox. He was named the AL MVP in 1958 where he hit 35 home runs and led the league with 122 runs batted in. He also led the league in RBIs two other times, as well as triples and stolen bases once each time. He had a good throwing arm. He won a gold glove in 1959, and he led the American League in assists and double plays twice. He retired in his early 30s as a major leaguer, and he did this for a very interesting reason. Major League Baseball was starting to expand westward, and Jackie had an intense fear of flying, so he hung it up. Which is kidding. Which is interesting that he then flew out to L.A. I don't know. Maybe he took a train. (laughs) He pulled a John Madden. He took the bus. To to do this, and he did it several times. But after being a two-sport star in college at the University of California— Jensen was the first man to play in the Rose Bowl, the World Series, and a Major League All-Star game. Wow. He went 
two for two in his appearances on the show. He defeated Ernie Banks and Rocky Calavito, and he lost twice to Mickey Mantle. Wow. He was also, this is, this is really interesting, Jensen was also one of several Red Sox players featured in the 1957 Norman Rockwell painting entitled The Rookie, oh, which wow. I, I think I remember what it looks like. I'm, I'm going to look it up. I'll, I'll post it when I, when I post about this show, but I'll, I'll make sure everybody can see that. Um, just a couple of random facts I found while, while doing some research on this. Uh, players of this era were known to compete in impromptu home run contests between games of doubleheaders. Now, wow, that would have been fun. That would have been awesome. Clearly something that would never happen today. No, no way. <laughs> Can you just imagine the, you know, the, the, the Yankees are playing the Red Sox, a doubleheader, and Mickey Mantle and Ted Williams in between games are like, hey, you want to, hey, Mick, you want to have a home run contest? Yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah, that'd be something. Uh, another thing that struck me about watching some of these episodes again were the uniforms. They're so freaking awesome. You know, they're the old wool uniforms, you know, kind of, kind of oversized. But I mean, I, I watched the Rocky Calavito uh, Mickey Mantle. And Calavito was with the Indians, and they, I mean, the uniform was just so cool. I just yeah. enjoyed watching them do this in those uniforms. Nice. In 2003 and 2004, and I vaguely remember this, the MLBPA held a similar contest, a kind of tournament like this in Cashman Field in Las Vegas. The contests were held just before spring training. It was an eight-man elimination tournament. It was televised in ESPN. And they did the same kind of format, but it only lasted five innings, and I did I couldn't even find the final results. I, I vaguely remember this because I was excited about it, but nothing ever came of it. So hmm. I, it, really, this format of a home run derby kind of died after one season. But it is a fantastic watch if you like baseball history. I will put links in the show notes. Or, you know, you can find all these episodes on YouTube. They're very, very interesting. But so there you go. There is the history of the Home Run Derby TV show. Thanks, Jeff. That was really interesting. And, and I'm going to go uh, watch a couple episodes after we're done here because that's that I just it brings back really good memories. Good. All right. Well, I am interested to hear about Max Carey because, again, I know the name. Hey. No, nothing about him. Who was who that? Uh, Max Carey. Oh, the guy I'm doing a story yeah, on. Yeah, I thought oh. that would ring a bell. Yeah, there you go. yeah, sorry about that. Yeah, no, I uh, actually, Max Carey um, played, he, he was, I guess what you would say is sort of between the, um, he, he was there when it was a dead ball era, and he was there after the dead ball era. He, he played, he kind of was a, a throwback to the dead ball, and then when in 1920 came around and they started using what they called the rabbit ball, um, he he pretty much played the same. He just kind of adjusted. So interesting story. He made the Hall of Fame. He was elected in 1961. Uh, his name was Maximilian George Scoops Carnarius. <laughs> All right. Scoops. Scoops was a given name, not a nickname. No, no, it's a nickname. Scoops was is in quotes. I, I did the quotes with my oh, fingers. And I can't, I can't see, even though we're in the same studio, clearly, and not right. in separate states, I couldn't see. No, I'm around the corner. So my apologies. Oh. Yeah, Scoops Carnarius. Um, he was known more as Max George Carey, uh, center fielder, quick guy. So I would, I mean, I would make a comparison as to maybe like a Kenny Lofton or a Brett Butler, you know, a little bit of power. He had a little bit of pop. And uh, he played in uh, for the Pittsburgh Pirates from 1910 through 1926. 
And then for the Brooklyn Robins from 26 through 29. Nice. And then he, he managed the Brooklyn Dodgers in 1932 and 1933. And this is what I thought was the coolest part of this whole thing. The name Carnarius, his name is Latin for handler of meat. <laughs> Which, dude, that's awesome, man. I, hey, Mark, handler of meat, how are you? But uh, that apparently was his family, uh, that, that what his family did for a living up until his father who came to America and, and was doing more traditional American type things. Uh, Kerry starred for the Pirates that he helped them win the 1925 World Series. During his 20 year career, he led the league, the National League, in stolen bases 10 times. And he wow. finished his career with 738 steals, which that's a lot. Yeah, that's got to be in the top 10 all time, right? It's actually still ninth uh, in Major League history. He actually held that record until 1974 when Lou Brock broke it. Mm, heard of him. So, yeah, so that was, a, I mean, that was a, that's just impressive. Uh, a lot of stolen bases. He was, you know, everybody thinks of Ty Cobb in that era, and, and rightfully so, but this, this guy was uh, almost a comparison. He didn't have the, the batting average, but we'll, we'll talk about that. Now, why haven't you heard of him? Um, a lot of people say he was the last of the great dead ball era players. So we don't talk a lot about the dead ball era. We do a little bit on this show. But generally speaking, um, if you're watching ESPN, they're not going to talk about the dead ball era a lot. So you maybe haven't heard of him. According to Saber, and this is a quote, a hardworking, fundamentally sound outfielder with great speed, sure hands, and good contact with a touch of power. These traits commonly found in the early days of baseball seemed less important in the Ruthian era in which Kerry starred. His career thus represents a bridge from the bunting and speed game to the lug and slug home run era. Lug and slug. I like lug that. and slug. Yes, I, I like that too. I had to. I had to use the quote because I wanted to say lug and slug. And if I didn't quote it, people would know I didn't make it up myself. <laughs> um, young Max was actually a swimmer and was a, a track star. And uh, he graduated from high school in 1909. And his parents sent him sent him to Concordia Seminary in St. Louis. They wanted him to become a Lutheran minister. Baseball kind of got in the way of that. Max Max's best sport was not baseball. It was actually track. You know, uh, he Makes was sense. Yeah, he was quick. He was noted for his speed and his agility. He uh, in 1909 he attended uh, what's called it was a, a league called the Central League, and it was he was in Terre Haute, Indiana, and the opposing team from South Bend had sold off their shortstop to a different league. And after the game, Mister Carnarius, Max Carey, tracked down their uh, manager. And in the hotel, and he said, hey, look, I'm a track star. Showed him a medal. You know, I, I, I won these medals. <laughs> no kidding. And he said, and you guys need a shortstop. So why don't you, uh, why don't you give me a shot? And uh, so they were like, okay, you know what? You're pretty athletic. Let's, let's go ahead and do that. So he's never played ball before. If he has, it's this real minor pickup type stuff. Can you imagine, like, just the Yankees are in town. You track down George Steinbrenner, and you're like, hey, I got this participation <laughs> ribbon. Do you yeah. need a shortstop? You, you should see me participate, pal. <laughs> I'm one of the great participators. Uh, it, anyway, in that the rest of that season, um, actually, Max, he did not want his real name used because he wanted to hold on to his amateur status as a you know as an athlete. So he asked his manager to give <laughs> to, when he turned in the lineup to give the umpire a fake name. So his manager. <laughs> 
His manager went up and uh, let's see, I got the guy's name here. Aggie Grant. His manager, Aggie Grant, went up and he told the umpire uh, the shortstop was named Carney or Carey or something like that. And so the umpire wrote down the name Max Carey. That's it. That was his name for the rest of his life. Uh, that season, he hit only a buck 58. Great defensively, making only 24 errors in 48 games. <laughs> well, <laughs> he could have started for the Mariners. Yeah, I, I looked at that and I thought maybe I would have had a shot back in the old dead ball era in 1909. Uh, he returned to seminary that fall, spent another year in school. He came back to South Bend and they said, well, we're not sure. Actually, yeah, you know, you're you're a good player. You're easy to get along with. Sent him out to a shortstop. Uh, and But they thought maybe he would do a little better in left field. What do you know? He found his niche in 98, 96 games in the outfield. He hit 298 and stole 86 bases. Wait, he stole 86 bases in 96 games. In 96 games, he hit 298, stole 86 bases. Just unbelievable. Jeez. And then found out that, you know what? He's got a gun of an arm, too. He threw out 25 base runners from the outfield Outfield in 96 games. Mm. So uh, he, uh, he earned the recommendation of the president. Uh, and who recommended him to the Pittsburgh Pirates. And so the, the president last... of the United States or the club, uh, the league president, <laughs> Okay, <laughs> the president gonna... of the entire league. Not the I was going to be really impressed if it was yeah. the president of the United well, States. Well, at the end of the 1910 season, the Pirates bought him up and uh, he, the, he didn't know a whole lot about major league baseball. So the first day of spring training, he runs out to the field. He's at shortstop. Because he thinks he's going back to shortstop. Well, this guy comes out there to play shortstop. His name was Honus Wagner. <laughs> and he some... said, uh, what are you doing here? And, uh, you know, Kerry just is just excited to be there. I am, I'm your new shortstop. Wagner uh, was a very gregarious guy. He said, okay, that's interesting. Wait, Just wait right here one second. And he went over to the, the, the team's manager. The Pirates manager was a guy named Fred Clark. And he was uh, an outfielder and the manager of the team. Player managers were fairly popular. That you don't see them ever anymore, but it's something that used to go on. I remember Pete Rose being a player manager. Mm-hmm. That was the and last one. It's just something that doesn't happen. Back then, there was a lot of them. Fred Clark was the uh, was in the outfield and managing the team. Wagner went up to Clark. This is this is uh, Honus Wagner went up to Clark and he said, uh, "I'm going to play shortstop permanently, but uh, this new kid maybe he should take your spot in the outfield <laughs> in left field." Interestingly enough. He did. Fred Clark benched himself for Max Carey. And uh, Max Carey and Honus Wagner became really good buddies after that. Um, But it was uh, kind of an issue. Clark replaced himself in the outfield with Max Carey, but somehow they didn't, they never really saw eye to eye. So that was, to me, that was like, that was Fred Clark saying, I think the team can be better, even though I'd rather have myself playing out there. To be honest, if if Honus Wagner tells you something, you Probably That's a good point listen. as well. Yeah. Honus Wagner says, you sit, you should go sit. He used to uh, use his speed in Forbes Field. Forbes Field was very roomy. We've talked about it a little bit. He led the league in triples twice, and he reached double figures in triples in nine different seasons. He walked uh, more than twice as much as he struck out, and he would uh, always find a way to get on base. Is kind of how it turned out. He, uh, it, there was, uh, in 1922, in an afternoon game, he reached base nine times in an extra inning marathon Gee. nine times he got on base i'd have been exhausted I, I get exhausted from first to third i'm like come on oxygen little help here but yeah nine times you reach base 
At nine times during his career, he had a five-hit game. So pretty impressive. The 738 stolen bases is, is also something uh, that, that I talked about that's pretty amazing. He, uh, he did lead the DNL in stolen bases 10 times. And, and back in, it's an era when average base dealer was actually thrown out about half the time. It was, I don't even know why people ran as often as they did, but uh, 50%, you were about league average on steals. Kerry once in 1922 stole 31 bases in a row. Wow. And uh, stole 51 bases in 53 attempts that year. So a little better than 50-50 on that. So he just played, yeah, he, he played both center and uh, left field for the Pirates. He retired uh, holding a major league record of six seasons with over 400 putouts. In fact, in 1923, he had an amazing 450 putouts. Uh, he led the NL outfield in all NL outfielders in range factor seven times, in assists four times, and in double plays five times. His 339 outfield assists still are the highest total of any National League outfielder since 1900. And he, because he got to so many balls, because he covered so much ground, he actually made a lot of errors, uh, more errors than average outfielders would make. He led the outfield, he led outfielders in errors four times. And it wasn't because he wasn't a good outfielder. It's just that he, you know, he was all over the place. He was one of those scrappy guys, as we've discussed. Um, Here's something I thought you might like. Max Carey was the first player to use flip down sunglasses in the outfield. Oh, nice. Yes way before Harry Hooper was known to do so. People think that Harry Hooper started it. No, no, sir, it was Max Carey. And then in 1924, Max went to watch Ty Cobb play in a spring training game and went, wow, I have been doing this wrong, completely remodeled his stance and went out into the 1925 season hitting more like Ty Cobb, and he hit 343 and led the Pirates (laughs) to the National League pennant. So I guess he took some pretty decent notes uh, in watching Ty Cobb. Again, if it, just like listening to Honus Wagner, uh, you know, patterning your your batting <laughs> stance and and stroke after Ty Cobb, you could do worse. Not not a bad idea. Yeah, I agree. So he would uh, in the World Series that year. They uh, it was the uh, Pirates against the uh, defending champion Washington Senators. They, the the uh, Pirates fell into three uh, one deficit. Lost, uh, they were losing three games to one. They rallied uh, to win the next two games. In game seven, Walter Johnson is on the mound for the Senators. So you got one of the greatest pitchers of all time. And Max, he's got a buddy named Bobby Veach, who is an outfielder for Detroit. Well, Bobby calls him and says, hey, I learned something about, about uh, Walter Johnson. He's, he tips his pitches. He said, uh, what exactly does he do to tip his pitches? He said, well, he's got a flaw in that he shortens his delivery when he's throwing his curveball. His curveball is way easier to hit than his pitches. So Kerry sat on the curveball in game seven, and he got four hits, including three doubles, off of the great Walter Johnson. He picked up this little information, and he had an amazing game. And the Pirates rallied to a 9-7 victory, coming back to win the World Series. If, uh, if there had been such a thing as an MVP, probably would have won it. Uh, he hit 458 in that series with 11 hits and three stolen bases. And after that, the Pirates were so happy with him, they gave him a huge raise to $16,000 a year. Again, if he would have been on Home Run Derby, if he was any sort of a power hitter, he could have yeah. almost doubled that. Could have. Would have, could have, should have, man. But, uh, you know, the timing was not right. 
Um, the 25 World Series was pretty much kind of how things wrapped up. Him and Fred Clark were not getting along, the player manager. Actually, Clark had uh, as was now just a stockholder in the team. But he was kind of an annoying guy, and he would go and he would get in full uniform, and he would sit on the bench as the assistant, assistant to manager Bill McKechnie. He was known for second-guessing McKechnie's decisions, saying maybe you should have done this, basically kind of running over the new manager. Some people on the team didn't like it. Max was not real fond of, of the idea. He never really had gotten along with Clark in the first place. So there was dissension among the team, and there was a doubleheader that they lost in, uh, in Boston in, on August 7th, 1926. And uh, it, was, it was embarrassing, and there was all kinds of discord in the, in the clubhouse. And so uh, Carson Bigby and Babe Adams and Kerry, they were kind of the leaders of the team, the veterans, called a team meeting and attempted to pass a resolution banning Clark from the bench. Kerry being, you know, Max Kerry being the team captain, he felt he should represent the players. And it became really ugly. Clark would not go without a fight. It, it became what was known as the Great Pirate Mutiny. And uh, the owners, owner of the Pirates, Barney Dreyfus, he said, you know what, I, I'm not going to allow the players to push somebody out that I have assigned there. Kerry was suspended for daring to try and, and overthrow this random guy sitting on the bench. And then <laughs> he was waived and released. It's a fine yeah. how do you do. Right? Isn't that that's so messed up? Uh, he was absolutely, he was quickly claimed by the Brooklyn Robins. And he finished out his career there uh, for the, actually they were the Robins only for, I believe, three years. They changed their name back to this weird Dodgers thing. Yeah. Trolley Dodgers? Yeah, the Trolley Dodgers kind of thing. Yeah, the Brooklyn Dodgers after that. When he went on to manage, he managed not the Robins, but the Dodgers. So um, he retired after the 29th season. He had 2,665 career hits, 738 stolen bases, and a lifetime batting average of 285. And uh, he, he went on to uh, do some interesting things. He uh, wrote a couple of books, and he wrote on, you know, he self-published, but then there were some other ones uh, on baseball strategy and tactics and that were fairly popular. He had a very uh, controversial article he wrote in 1955 for Esquire. And they said, Max, name the 20 greatest players of all time. His number one was his old teammate, Honus Wagner. I understand that. Okay. But where did he rank Babe Ruth? 18th. <laughs> 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 he, he, he said, because, and, I, and I'm quoting here, the importance of home runs compared to bunts, because the bunts were more important. Yeah, um, well, I mean, you can understand, bunts were his game, it, you know, yeah, that was... Absolutely, and <laughs> so home runs, even though they score you at least one run, you know, probably more if you're the Yankees, they're not as important as bunts, so, so maybe he put 18th. And uh, for uh, quite a while, uh, Max kind of just sat there on the cusp of the Hall of Fame. And then, of course, 1961, he was finally voted in. Max Carey passed away on May 30th, 1976. Every once in a while, you'll see a, a player that will remind you of the, the style of player he was, though. That hard nose, quick, take the extra base kind of guy. And uh, I thought he was pretty interesting to read about. Hall of Famer, Max carry nice i'm I, like i said didn't know anything about him knew the name 
Yeah. And uh, I got a couple other things here. I'm just scanning some highlights as well of of Max Carey because he was an interesting guy. Yeah. Apparently, he also managed in the All-American Girls Professional Baseball League. That's right. He sure did. He managed the Milwaukee Chicks for a season and won a pennant. Then he became the league's president for several years. And then he became a manager for the Fort Wayne Daisies. And I remember I remember the Fort Wayne Daisies from a league of their own. Sure. And uh, apparently he was the manager there. Also, you mentioned he was elected into the Hall of Fame. He went in with Slidin' Billy Hamilton, the original. Oh, yes. Who, that's right. I read that too. Yes, that's right. So there it is. Max Clark. Very nice. Yep. Good stuff. All right. So uh, that'll wrap up our kind of our our, our game segment, uh, the the Home Run Derby and Max Clark, or Max Clark, Carey. Max Carey, uh, our, our main segment. But now we're going to we're going to head into the postgame segment, which is everybody's favorite segment. It is time for Wax Packs Heroes. Gotta pull the wax back all right so as the theme song has informed you it is time for wax packs heroes uh this is where we open up a pack from the uh, the junk wax era and uh we take a look at them we are using a 1992 a may 1992 to be specific beckett baseball card monthly so that way some of these cards have some actual value uh, we've got a couple of extra rules as well as we look through them, if the player is now in the Hall of Fame, they get an extra five cents added to their value. If they are sporting a mustache, which most of them are, that is an extra cent. If they are wearing real stirrups, they get an extra cent. And if they're wearing the old fake two-in-one socks to look like stirrups, you get a minus one cent because that's just <laughs> wrong. We're uh, in full agreement on that too, by the way. No <laughs> way. No, no, those fake stirrups. That's just garbage. Standings right now. I have nine wins. Mark has eight. We had a tie last week. A big, a big fat sister kissing kind of thing going on. So, was, and that was like the third time we've tied. It was the fourth time. Yeah. That's of course, just bizarre. The, the previous three were before we instituted some of these rules. So we ended up with, we were using current Beckett's and we were ending up with like four cents each. So. <laughs> that was, that was the dead ball era. That was definitely the dead ball. <laughs> Our era. own personal dead ball era. Yeah. All right. So today we've got two packs of 1991 flares in all of their yellow glory. So, uh, Mark, I'm going to give you the opportunity to either choose the pack or choose to go first or second. I'm, I'd like to go first. You're going to go first? All right, yes. I'm going to choose the pack here on my left. So I'm going to give you this one, which, as I open it up, has a sticker in it. You either get in these, you either get four little stickers or one big sticker. You, <laughs> this is, you're going to love it. It's a big Yankee sticker. Oh, lucky me. So I am going to set that aside to hand personally to you next time <laughs> uh, I see you uh, here in the same oh, studio. joyful day. Yeah, I knew, I knew you'd, you'd be excited about that one. Very. All right. So let me get the rest of these in order. All right, here we go. Leading off right out the bat is a Padres pitcher. It is nice because they are wearing the, uh, the brown pinstripes. Derek Lilliquist. Derek Lilliquist. I haven't heard that name in forever. Wow. Yeah, I don't think I've heard that name since maybe 1991. Probably the last time I heard it too, yeah. 
Derek Lilliquist is also <laughs> clearly wearing two in one socks. So not a good start. There's minus one right off the bat. That's a rough uh, way to kick things off. No mustache. You know, I don't think I was ever a fan of Derek Lilliquist. <laughs> and as I'm you really can, not now. And as you can guess, uh, no value to uh, to yeah. Mr. Lilliquist. So you are actually in the hole to start off with. <laughs> a good start right there. All right. This will help you out. Uh, next, we've got pitcher for the Mets wearing real stirrups, David Cohn. Oh, Cone, there you go. Conehead. David Cohn, uh, dominant pitcher from that era. He was, um, I think of him as, as a Met, but I believe he pitched... The Royals. Uh, the Royals. He was on right. the uh, the Red Sox at the end of his career. Um, yeah, he was, He at the end of his career, he, came, he, he bounced around to a couple of different teams, but uh, he's also a Yankees announcer now on TV. That's right. Yep. Uh, but that is, uh, surprisingly enough, not worth anything other than that, the one cent for the real stirrups. That does surprise me. Yeah, I was hmm. a little... I want to make sure I'm I'm looking at the right thing here. Yep, 91 flare. All right, next, Carlos Baerga, second nice. baseman for the Cleveland Indians. Carlos Cheese Baerga. Yep, I remember <laughs> when you told me that. I had never heard that before, and it made me laugh, and I'm smiling now. Uh, Carlos Baerga, well, he was a good player in his uh, for, for 10 years or so. He was also in the Mets in the late 90s and was really good with them. Carlos Baerga is worth two cents value-wise, uh, oh but he is uh, also, unfortunately, wearing fake stirrups, two-in-ones, ah, but he is sporting a mustache. <laughs> so those cancel out, and you <laughs> okay. get your two cents uh, value for the card. Okay, well, you know, at least it's something. All right, next we've got uh, D. Gordon's father. Ah, uh, yes. Tom Gordon. Um, Flash. Again, Again, Flash, sporting a mustache and sporting two-in-one stirrups, so those cancel out. Uh, here he is with the Royals. I believe he was also on the Red Sox. Yep. Um, Flash, at this point, though, is not worth anything. Uh, that's a spring training picture of Flash, too, but nope, no value there. Uh, next, Scott Fletcher, second baseman uh, at this point with the Chicago White Sox. I remember him mainly with the Rangers. Yeah, I remember Scott Fletcher as a ranger. Uh, he is 100% wearing real stirrups, uh, I can tell, because he's got he's showing a lot of color on top. This is a good picture, taking an old Comiskey with the uh, the yellow bars and the box seats down below. That's a good good look. Nice. Card, though, is not worth anything other than the one cent for the stirrups. Uh, we seem to get this guy once a pack now. <laughs> All-time at one point saves leader, Jeff Reardon. <laughs> yeah, he's come around lately. Ever since we brought him up, he keeps showing up again. He does. Now, uh, he is 91, I think, might have been the first big year for the two-in-one socks. Everybody seems to be sporting him, uh, sporting them. Of course, uh, Jeff Reardon also always had a big, bushy beard and mustache, so those cancel out. Yeah, he, he didn't just have it for like because he was a hipster, a modern hipster. No, he no. always had it. Yeah, he always had it. Yeah, but that is uh, that card is not worth anything, and those canceled out. So right now you're sitting at three cents. You've oh, got man. like you've gotten good names, but these flares, I'm going to be honest, are just not worth anything. <laughs> they really aren't. Yeah. Okay, here is one of a show. This is a show favorite right here, and and I'm not sure this guy has a bad baseball card. Shortstop with a gun from the Chicago Cubs wearing yeah. 
100% real stirrups pulled all the way up almost to his belt. Nice. Yeah. And wearing a mustache and flip downs. Mr. Sean oh, nice. Dunstan. Turn on the Shawanometer. <laughs> I mean, this is such a, this is clearly at the beginning of the season. He's got long sleeve. It, it, first of all, it's at Wrigley. He's wearing pinstripes. It, you can see the wall in the background. The ivy is not, you know, you can see the, the bricks through it. And he's wearing a real like loose long sleeve shirt underneath it. But that's a good there's two cents just for the mustache and yeah. the and the uh, stirrups. And his card is number 420. So <laughs> that's even a bonus. He should have been playing either in Colorado <laughs> or Washington. But uh, uh, that card, not worth anything other than those two cents for those. I remember about Shawan Dunstan. He would, uh, he would really heat up in July and August. And man, it, they used to, this lady used to hold this sign that said Shawanometer during the summer and it would it was his batting average and it i swear every time it would go up just a little bit go up a little bit it's like the itchy meter it is it was but first it was the shawana meter uh next from the st louis cardinals catcher tom pagnazzi oh my gosh yeah it's been a while since i thought about mr pagnazzi yeah i remember that though i mean uh, i think tom pagnazzi should have had a bigger nose he, he does sound like a bigger nose kind of guy. But. <laughs> he does. Uh, no mustache, no value to the card, but he is wearing real stirrups because he's a catcher. That's right. I don't think, I'm wondering how many cat. let's start to pay attention, how many catchers weren't wearing real stirrups because uh, I'll bet it wasn't a lot. I think Benito Santiago, I remember not wearing them, but I'm, I think most catchers wore real stirrups. Yeah. I don't know I why. But. Yeah, I don't know why either. That's Another, the same reason they're all managers. Yeah, <laughs> they're smart. Stirrups are cool. Breed, you know. Next, we got another catcher. This one for the Texas Rangers, John Russell. I have no recollection of that guy. I remember him. I don't. I I remember him. Let me put it that way. Uh, can't see his stirrups. Not wearing a mustache, and uh, that card is has no value. That is as basic and plain of a card that has ever existed. You want a definition of a common? That was it. Well, plus it's a it's a ninety one flare, which I mean that is common. <laughs> that is a common common. Next, now here's a name that I remember, and again haven't thought of forever. Left handed pitcher for the Dodgers, Jim Poole. I remember Jim Poole. Sure, yeah, he was a lefty specialist. He was definitely a lefty. This is his rookie card. Watch out, oh, uh, man. wearing real stirrups, and uh, wow, worth three cents. <laughs> really. <laughs> Yeah. All right, Jim. Uh, again, I like I said, it's his rookie card. On the board. There you go. Uh, next, now this guy I do not remember, and he should have been a catcher because it's Jim Vatcher. <laughs> it's just... Uh, you're making stuff up now. I am not. V-A-T-C-H-E-R. Jim Vatcher. So, so if you... Like the V is right next to the C on a keyboard. <laughs> He could have been Jim Catcher. Just there is one no way in Little League this guy was not catching at some point. Yeah. There is uh, no, no, no way. Nothing uh, nothing to note there except for that it, it is a three-cent card in <laughs> <Really>? 1992. <laughs> Let's go Jim Batcher the Catcher. That's now, great. it is listed here as his rookie card in Beckett, but he spent, I guess they probably just didn't make a card. He appeared in 36 games the year before for the Phillies. But this is considered his rookie card. Gotcha. There you go. Another catcher. Here we go. Jeff Reed, Cincinnati Reds. Jeff Reed. Nope. Drawn a blank. 
I, again, I remember the name, but uh, can't see his stirrups. I guarantee you he's wearing real stirrups and no mustache. That card is not worth anything. Yeah. Infielder for the Texas Rangers. Good shot here at Fenway Park. Kevin Reimer. Yeah, I remember Kevin Reimer. Sure, he was, uh, was he a utility guy or is he straight up second base? Uh, he is listed as utility infielder on this card. Okay. Uh, he is also listed as a two-cent card uh, from Beckett. And Reimer, darn near killed her. <laughs> well, you're going to, oh, now this is interesting. It looks like he's wearing two-and-ones, but I can see in his pants, I can see the arch of the real stirrups. Oh, that's, I appreciate you doing the, uh, the yeah. you know, checking it out for me there. No problem. Yeah, that, well, hey, I'm all for giving guys credit for real stirrups. Yeah. Uh, so that is a three cent card for you right there because of that. Uh, also a uh, Canadian, apparently. Huh. Was an injured member of the Canadian 1984 Olympic baseball team. And his father, Gary, or I'm sorry, his father, Jerry, played 11 years in the Philly organization. Hmm. Who knew? Knowledge is power. And your final card, this is a good card, despite the fact that he's wearing two and ones. Outfielder for the Braves, former husband of Halle Berry, <laughs> David Justice. David, former, former Oakland Athletic as well. Former, yeah, I believe, did, was, was, did he go on to the Indians after the A's? I think he did. I think so. He wanted to come to Seattle, which made total sense uh, because he killed us up here. But uh, they never, they didn't sign him. But you're going to be happy to know that David Justice is one of the most expensive cards in the 1991 set. Hey, lucky me. 20 cents. Yes. Yes. Big score. Now, you do minus one because he's not wearing real stirrups, but that's a 19-cent card for you. Very nice. So you have come up, sir, with a total of 35 cents. Uh, well, you know what? I think that's semi-respectable. I think that's you know, a good, good score. Especially having guys I've never even heard of in my life on, on, in my pack. No, I think that, that's going to be a tough one to, tough one to beat for me. I don't know, dude. You've you've come back on me before with some pretty major. Yeah, comeback. Ken Griffey Jr. is my boy. Yeah. When it comes that was to that. the one. Yeah. Oof. All right. So let's take a look at my pack here. I'm not uh, not uh, not too excited about these stickers. I got four. Uh, I got Pirates, Cardinals, Blue Jays, and the Rangers. At least the mm -hmm. Rangers one is the old school. You know, with the with the state of Texas and the baseball and stuff. I I like that logo. Yes. All right, leading off, uh, well, leading off for me, regardless, I, I doubt his card's going to be worth anything, but I get two cents because he's got a mustache and he's got real stirrups. Mr. Uh, utility infielder for the Toronto Blue Jays, Manny Lee. Manny Lee. Oh, yeah. Uh, yep. Uh, as expected, not worth anything except for the two cents for the, uh, for the uh, stirrups. And the, he's got a nice jerry curl, too, going on there. <laughs> nice. Now, this is a good card. This is a uh, shortstop for the Los Angeles Dodgers, Alfredo Griffin. Oh, man. I used to love Alfredo Griffin. I like Alfredo Griffin. Now, this is a great card. Uh, again, two cents right off the bat because he's wearing a mustache and, and real stirrups. He is turning a double play. Looks like he was playing shortstop. Well, obviously, he's listed as a shortstop, but I, I believe he was kind of a utility guy. Bip Roberts is sliding in and breaking up the double play, well, trying to, and he's 
his head is right in Alfredo's midsection. Uh, they're they're getting to know each other, but uh, it's Bip Roberts in a brown uh, Padres uniform. It's a good card. There aren't many Bips that have played uh, baseball. Well, there aren't many Bips in general. No, and you know, I'm just guessing that's probably a nickname. I, I've never met a Bip. Now, okay, now this is oh my god. I can tell you right now how this is going to end up. <laughs> and you, you might ask why. Jeff, how could you possibly know how this is going to end? Well, my next card is Derek Lilliquist. <laughs> now, there's, okay, well, great. Well, you got a card that was in both packs. My next card is David Cohn. Oh, my. Here next we go. Next card is Carlos Baerga. <laughs> next card is Tom Gordon, Scott Fletcher, <laughs> Jeff Reardon, Sean Dunstan, Tom Pagnazzi, Jeff Russell, Jim Poole, Jim Vatcher, not the catcher, and then Jeff Reed. So <laughs> I have because I got the two cards of Alfredo Griffin and Manny Lee, that means that I miss out on your last card, which was David Justice, which was the big... <laughs> <laughs> it's rigged, man. It's rigged. So in what is undoubtedly the worst episode of Wax Wax Heroes ever, because 91 flares suck, just <laughs> I have I have I'm going to come up short and uh, you are going to end up with a win and you're going to tie this at nine apiece. David, just ice, baby. <laughs> That, you know, that is a danger, though, with with cards from this era, especially crappy Flare 91 cards. I mean, I remember many times opening the same pack, not even oh, just sure. two different players at some point, but the exact same pack. Yes, I remember being very upset by that. Especially <laughs> well, if you got a pack with a bunch of zeros in it. I'm very upset right now. <laughs> so, <laughs> I'm okay with it. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm not even going to add it up because we know that definitely you, you've got 19 cents that I do not have. So, <laughs> well, there you go. Thanks a lot, Flair. Thanks, Obama. That's who I'm going to blame. That's, it was definitely Bush's fault. Um. <laughs> <laughs> well, you never know what you're going to get when you open a, a, a junk wax wax pack there you that's go right. you never know <laughs> all right well that's gonna that's gonna wrap up a somewhat uh abbreviated version of wax packs hero uh I'd like to remind everybody that we love to talk to you on social media i've uh, been having a lot of fun a lot of people have been interacting with us uh, both on twitter and instagram the last couple of weeks it's been a lot of fun if you would like to do so and if you are not following us please do we are at two strike noise that is at TWO Strike Noise on the aforementioned Twitter and Instagram. Uh, we post things throughout the week, both show-related as well as just kind of odd uh, baseball trivia, things that are cool about baseball, all that kind of stuff. Um, you know, Mark, I had, a, I had a lot of fun today, and uh, this was show number 49. Uh, we already made the decision that show number 50 was going to be about Ricky Henderson, so I am super excited for next week. So am I. I don't really have to do anything. Yeah. I know. Well, I'm, <laughs> I'm going to do a little, I'm going to take it a little bit different direction. So I, I'll give you a brief next week, a brief kind of overview of Ricky Henderson, some career right. numbers and stuff. But I thought what would be the most fun would be to go through all of the Ricky Henderson stories that are out there and differentiate the ones that are fact and fiction. 
because you never know with Ricky. He's done some things that show that you think <laughs> that shouldn't be real, but they are. We're going to do that next week. I'm super excited about that. So I hope everybody else will join us again next week for episode number 50. It is going to be the Ricky Henderson fact or fiction episode. Very nice. But, uh, so Looking I'm not even going to give you the option of doing a show next week. We're doing Ricky Henderson. <laughs> All right, on. All right. We don't need the option next week. I got it. All right. So again, thank you everybody for listening. We really do appreciate it. If you are so inclined, we always appreciate uh, being rated and reviewed on whatever platform you are listening to us on. And until then, uh, bid you adieu and thank you for joining us for another episode of Two Strike Noise. Thank you. God bless you. Have a great day. Bye.